Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. We're back. Screw the haters. (laughs) (laughs) We made it to 2019. Happy New Year. I'm very surprised. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back, guys. It's a brand new year of Barstool Politics. Lucky you. Uh, I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from... Barker! Hi, from Keene State College. Hi. That was two sips in. It's not a good sign. Um, <laughs> hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Howdy. Happy, happy 2019. It's, it's very Same good. Same to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's three. Um, before we get started average stuff good stuff uh if you guys like the podcast have questions comments beer suggestions anything like that follow us on twitter at barstool paul p-o-l facebook at barstool politics um beers that we try you can find on the untapped app on ios and android we are barstool politics on there the podcast uh, soundcloud itunes stitcher google play music most major podcasting platforms so share us through there like us review us whatever your particular platform does do all the good things on there um, and then uh, Predicted. We are uh, partnered with Predicted, which is a, uh, a real money uh, political prediction market where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Pretty much a, start, a stock market for politics. Um, lots of fun. We use it uh, to look at public opinion and, you know, kind of different aspects of, uh, of things that are going on currently. Um, what's great for our listeners is that uh, if you open up a new account, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, you'll uh, predict it will match that $20. So $40 to use on Predictit. Um, definitely check it out. Lots of fun. I feel like I say it's lots of fun all the time and can't think of anything else to say because I don't think about this ahead of time. And uh, just use the uh, promo link, uh, predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20 and get your free money. Thanks, Predict It. Yeah. It's been fun watching the markets, like how long Trump is going to sit around or stay in office and the indictments. And that has become more interesting on Predict It to watch all of those things. Definitely. I I was just glancing. It's right now that they're, they're, according to it, basically, the interpretation is that Donald Trump only has a 59% chance of being the Republican nominee for president in 2020. That's interesting. Mm. That's way down. Yes, but I think that's a reasonable number. I think it is, too. When you think about the potential of impeachment, you think about the potential he resigns or yep. he gets beat, you know, he gets primary. There's a lot of reasons right now that could prevent him from becoming the nominee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I may have to put some money down on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not doing himself any favors over the past week or two. This is true. Oh, so many haters out there. He's got to call out the haters. Let's yeah. talk about the haters, shall all we? All right, let's do it. So, all right, gentlemen, we took a week off and look what happens. Trump tweets he's pulling all the troops out of Syria. Secretary of Defense James Mattis resigns in protest. The stock market has one of the worst Decembers in history. And the government shuts down. So let's start with the Syria decision. As I see it, there are two angles to look at here. One is the logic, or lack of logic, of Trump's decision to abruptly pull the troops out of Syria. The other fascinating, or maybe terrifying, element is what to make of Mattis' departure. He was, by all accounts, the last remaining, quote, adult in the room, and his departure has genuinely rattled many across the political spectrum. Trump tried to calm the waters by tweeting out an all-caps message, wishing everyone, including the haters and the fake media, a happy new year. He warned everyone to calm down and enjoy the ride. (laughs) Phil, you're always calm. (laughs) Why don't you start us off with your reaction to Syria, Mattis, and the lovers and the haters? Uh, Well... The, there's a couple of things to talk about with this. I, I mean, we right before we came on the air, we were talking about how Trump has has felt a little more unhinged, maybe on Twitter in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know what that. You know, there have been a number of people around him who have left, right? Uh, with you know the or <laughs> left or been asked to leave, I guess. Um, and it just felt it felt chaotic for, especially like we talked about the the week sort of Christmas to New Year's felt a little calmer. 
Um, but prior to that, it was pretty chaotic. And, and not that Trump felt calmer. He's he's been throwing some crazy stuff out there on on uh, on Twitter, and it feels like we'll we'll get to um, the shutdown later. But it, it feels like he's I don't know. It feels like he's that the idea that there were people around him who were in some way restraining him or keeping him in check. It feels like in the last couple of weeks he has picked a bunch of battles that don't make any sense or that that he's likely to lose and. The Syria one is one, and particularly targeting Mattis, feels like one of those that's really, from a political standpoint, I, I don't, I, I know that there are people who love Trump who will still love the way he's handled this, but I, talking to people in, I have a number of friends who are in the military or have been in the military, the military is pissed. They they loved Mattis, and the, I, the way that he's been, the the way that this has been handled, um, Trump is is not particularly loved by a lot of people, and his, his approval ratings aren't terribly high um uh but mattis was and so i i yeah i don't i don't i don't know what to make make of of that it doesn't make sense politically necessarily it's also a little scary to me because mattis i mean some of the stories that have come out since were that you know mattis had directly inserted himself into the nuclear um the the line right that that if someone was going to launch if if donald trump gave the order that mattis was you know immediately contacted before um and so it it did you know i i I think Mattis was was pretty good. I have some concerns or issues with him, but it's it's pretty disconcerting to me that he's not there anymore. It was the first time you saw some cracks in Republicans who seemed yeah. a little freaked out. Democrats, right. Nick, have been freaked out for a long time. About that's all, all they of do. This. Yeah, that's that's their 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 mainstay. Exactly. Yeah. But for the most point, Republicans have been like, well, it's not so bad. You know, he's just he's a little rough around the edges. But when Mattis left, right? So Matt, when Trump said he's pulling the troops out, Mattis basically said, I can't continue in this role and and so Trump said fine you're out you saw a whole a number of establishment republicans Lindsey Graham for a hot second and then he caved but mm-hmm. were really upset about this and genuinely concerned about the state of the executive branch of the White House given that Mattis was now gone it was like all the other cast didn't matter but suddenly when you talk about the defense department not having that steady hand everybody started losing it mm-hmm. I, I mean from from a foreign policy perspective, my opinion on this is slightly less alarmist, I guess. Of, of Mattis leaving? Uh, not necessarily of Matt. That alarms me a little bit, but of fairly quickly pulling troops out of Syria. Mm-hmm. Realistically, from a strategic perspective, there's no benefit for us being there at this point. It's a complete nightmare between Russia and Iran and ISIS and the Kurds and everybody else that's part of that giant quagmire that we realistically do not want to get more involved in anyways I think kind of going along it's not terribly different from the strategy that we've had in place at least since the Obama administration if not you know the Bush 2 administration which is realistically divide and conquer and sow chaos in the region and North Africa and just kind of that uh, that that segment in general I think that there's enough of a reason to immediately withdraw U.S. troops and have the other actors in there have to attempt to pick up the pieces. And I think there aren't, there's not enough of the piece left to put together. Um, But Mattis leaving is is concerning. But I think Trump is running this like a, 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 a a private organization. I think he's trying to take extreme steps to see who is going to back him and who's not uh, going into a, you know, a, not that far away from a, 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 the election cycle at this point. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It, it's I, I think it's it's concerning that Mattis is gone. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. The Syria thing doesn't doesn't really upset me that much. Yeah. It's an interesting. You, go ahead, Phil. No. Well, I was going to ask you, Bill, what you think. What do you think about Syria? Because I, I go back and forth on yeah. the Syria thing. Because I, I get, I, I totally get what Nick is saying, and I, and the, the, the downside is that you're handing over control to you know Russia and and Iran and all these other. But we weren't really doing that much to prevent it, right? It felt in some ways like we were doing as little as possible, mm-hmm. or we were doing enough to say that we were doing something. Um, so I, yeah, I mean I. I, I can see both sides of it. I, I don't. How do you, do you? What's your take on yeah, it? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a difference between the decision and how the decision was made. 
So it sounds like the decision, the way in which Trump made this decision was terrible. He didn't consult widely. It was basically an impulse. He was a reflex machine. He decided it was time to get out, and that was what would happen. It was a campaign promise. Right. But he didn't normally, presidents have to make these hard choices. Usually there's a, some deliberation. You talk to people. It takes a while. He just decides, I'm going to do this. So that's and, and troubling. Tweets it, and tweets it, right? right. And tweets it, yeah. <laughs> right. The decision itself, like both of you, I, I don't know how bad of a decision it is, right? I mean, because no president ever wants to stay indefinitely in a conflict, but the military likely will, right? If you're if you're the Secretary of Defense, if you're on the ground, there's always more you can do. You're worried about the long-term consequences, somebody coming back, so you're going to be predisposed to want to stay longer just to make sure that all threats are eliminated. But if you're a president, whether you're talking about Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Vietnam, at some point you've got to pull the plug. That's never an easy decision. Now, I do think there are, when you think about what we're doing to the Kurds, so basically, you know, the Kurds have been helping us fight ISIS, and by pulling out immediately, now you're handing this power over to Turkey, who's going to come in and basically slaughter all those right. Kurds who'd been our allies. That's, that's not a great thing. But to Nick's broader point, what was our long-term strategic interest in Syria? There isn't one. Yeah. I, I mean, realistically, prior to the Civil War, it was in the hands of, of Russia and Iran regardless. Yeah. And then you throw in uh, the you know elements of the Kurds and now Turkey, and then you have remnants of ISIS that could possibly have a resurgence. There's no good reason for us to be there at this point. I'm sorry that, you know, it's it's not... It wouldn't be my choice to leave the Kurds out, you know, yeah. to the wolves, but... There, there's just we've seen over the past two decades that we have no strategy to get out of any of these conflicts in that region in an effective, efficient manner. So let's let's just do it. And I guess that's what makes me slightly less concerned about the reaction of Madison and the military as it stands in general, because they're the purveyors of this strategy that has not worked for two decades. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that Trump's relationship with them is anything to you know be positive about but something needs to fundamentally change and i think there needs to be a fundamental change which within the 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 standing um military infrastructure and power structure that stops us from from becoming continuous partners in these conflicts and i do wonder if this decision if the same decision had been made by a different president and not tweeted out right whether we wouldn't feel differently about it mm -hmm. we still might critique it i think there is you know it's not a perfect decision but something coming from trump and the way in which it was made was it was i guess it was it made it a bit more problematic phil, phil. sure no, I mean, I think I think there are arguments for. So I, I do think there are strategic interests that we have there. I don't know how compelling they are. Um, you know, you could make an argument that it's it's that it's worth the U.S. supporting democracy in in Syria, or that the refugee crisis is significant enough that it's you know it, it actually interests U.S. interests. And you could make moral arguments that don't necessarily have to do with strategic interests. Beyond all of that, again, I don't know how compelling those are um, for, for different people, but even if you find those compelling, the strategy we were taking wasn't accomplishing those things. And so it feels a little bit like, you know, we, we have this, this, the Iraq war maybe is one possible exception, but I think it's maybe not even an exception there. We, we have this approach really since Vietnam in which we, we want to have our fingers and stuff we have interests around the world but we're afraid to go all in in these places and so we end up doing these kind of half you know and, and I, I am not a proponent of war by any means but if you think that the strategic interests in syria are enough for u.s involvement then commit then then get involved right, right? if you think that that what's happening to the people of Syria, you know, the the you know, genocide, the you know, the the democracy issues, the refugee issues, the if you're concerned about Iran and ISIS, all of that, then then you know, then if it's that important, then then actually do what it takes to to fix these issues as opposed to sending in you know a handful of troops here and there. Mm -hmm. It reminds me, you're talking the I, I can't think of the political scientist who wrote about Vietnam and said basically we were it was we were trapped there because we didn't we didn't do enough to win. But right. you couldn't politically afford to lose in Vietnam. And in some ways, that the Syria was similar there, that if you didn't make that decision to get out, you were never going to win in Syria. There was no way Assad wasn't going to be gone. I mean, I guess the only victory was against ISIS, right? That We were having success against ISIS, and the only long-term fear is, are they... I mean, they still have territory there. It's not like they're completely eliminated. So are you leaving too early where the 
potential threat of ISIS returning is still there. That, that's that's a legitimate question. I, I don't I, I don't see it happening, yeah. especially realistically. I would imagine that Russia would become the dominant player in in that particular field. Um, uh, what's the word? Um, theater. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to give two shits about civilian casualties or attempting to, you know, tamp down on collateral damage. They're going to destroy everything that is giving them a problem. But they've been going after the anti-Assad movement. I mean, right. They, they've been going after ISIS, but not in the same way that they've been targeting those who are going, are going after Assad. You're right. But, but if they are the main yeah. player there yeah. and it's going to cost them a, a, a some element of, of uh, strategic territory, they will destroy them yeah. without a moment's hesitation. And there's no doubt this is a win for Russia. It's a win mm-hmm. for Assad. It doesn't mean it's a loss for the United States, but when, when right afterwards Putin comes out and says, this is a great decision, yeah. and Assad the same thing, and even China was like, this is, this is very good thoughts by uh, mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Right? I mean, that, that suggests <laughs> that there's there's a complication to it. So what was I, I, I haven't I admit that I didn't read that much about Mattis's decision specifically was his decision to leave based on the withdrawal or the way that it was done? Was it based on the decision to leave Syria or was it the fact that the military was sort of ignored or gone around or, or do, you, do you know the details of that? I don't know what you know specifically. He it was didn't his, give a specific yeah. reason for it. In his letter, he talked about uh, lack of supporting allies. Mm-hmm. So, but that could be, you know, both our European allies. That could be NATO. But I think it also had to do with, I think it was the Kurds were something. It sounds like the, the behind the scenes story that he was really upset about that. This is a group that had fought, you know, for the United States and supported our efforts against ISIS. And by pulling out, you're basically leaving them out but- to die. But let's be honest, screwing over the Kurds is a tradition, an American yeah. tradition as old as apple that's, pie, that's right? That's true, like, that's a good we've point. We've been doing this for decades. <laughs> yes. And you wonder whether Mattis just had had enough, right? Maybe this was a, a, a significant issue, but maybe it was just one of 10,000 that he finally said, that's it, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And I'm sure it was a good reason. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, so we should, well, should we talk a bit about Trump attacking Mattis today? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that that was a significant development because to, to circle back to a point you were making earlier, Phil, Mattis was the one guy who was untouchable. I mean, he could go after he could go after Rex Tillerson and others. But Mattis was the one guy that was supposed to be clean. And uh, his departure, you thought, well, he's only going to say nice things. And today he went after him. Well, and I think that's related to that. You, you mentioned the letter that that mm-hmm. uh, Mattis wrote. Right. Um, if you haven't had a chance, it's not a long letter. No. If listeners haven't had a chance to read it, it's worth going out and reading because it's very well written, and it's it's pretty harsh. It's a pretty harsh critique of Trump, but it's um, well stated, right? Yes. It's not like just like Trump's a an idiot, right? It like comes out with these very specific critiques, and it seemed like it took about two days for that critique to really set in with the Trump administration, <laughs> yes. right? It was about two days after that letter that all of a sudden it like, I think the, the awareness of, of how much of a critique that letter was um, set in. And then you started to see Trump sort of turn on, on Mattis. Anyway. Which culminates in today he had his cabinet meeting and Ooh. somebody asked him a question about Mattis. And so Nick, do you want to, you want to go to the tape? Yes, <laughs> let's do that. Let's see if this will play. Missiles and everything. But General Mattis was so thrilled well, what's he done for me? How has he done in Afghanistan? Not too good. Not too good. I'm not happy with what he's done in Afghanistan, and I shouldn't be happy. But he was very happy. He was very thankful when I got him $700 billion, and then the following year, $716 billion. So, I mean, I wish him well. I hope he does well. But as you know, President Obama fired him, and essentially so did I. I want results. <laughs> I want results. Oh. So can, can I begin by saying yes. that a, a president should never say about one of his cabinet members, what's he done for me? <laughs> like, that shouldn't be the standard. And, and he, anyway. Trump has done this to basically everybody who's left his administration, maybe other than Nikki Haley, and that may be still becoming. That seems different to me, though. I mean, he, like you said, Phil, he is his reputation among the military. <clears throat> it, he's untouchable. They love him and they continue to love him. Republicans love him. Yeah. Is this going to come back and bite Trump, or will Republicans just get in line and, and buy into the, you know, Mattis is an idiot argument? Um, yes and yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, this is just my 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 theory is that 
yeah, it's going to bite Trump, not in some grand dramatic fashion, right? This is not going to be the thing that all of a sudden Mattis has quit. And so now all the Republicans in Congress are meeting and beginning impeachment hearings. But I think all of this stuff takes a cumulative toll, right? So like little by little, all, you know, it's, you lose one congressman here and one congresswoman there, or, you know, over time it's, you know, you, somebody who was a hundred percent behind Trump is like, is now maybe 85% behind Trump. And I mean, it's the same thing. Well, again, I, I, I keep sort of jumping forward to, we're going to talk about the, the shutdown. It's another thing that I, I just think those, you know, when you start to pile all of those things together, it's, it's enough for people to start questioning stuff and questioning the decision making and seeing these patterns and the fact that Kelly's gone and Mattis is gone and he just seems more erratic and he's maybe making, you know, he's, he's making decisions that aren't necessarily winning decisions. Um, so it, when I say yes and yes, I think that for most Trump supporters, uh, Mattis leaving isn't going to change their opinion. But I think that in, in small ways, I think that this does start to, you know, you add this to the 75 other things that have happened and people you know, there are some people who start to have their doubts and questions. You saw that with the Republicans in Congress who, you know, who who reacted uh, openly to this and it, when they didn't to previous things. And so um, I don't think it's the thing that, you know, oh, oh, now this week it's all over. But I do think that this all adds up in a way that's going to bite Trump in the ass in the long run. Republicans are certainly worried. Right. And I think they should be because you mentioned John Kelly also leaving. It wasn't just Mattis leaving now. The, the chief of staff and the secretary of defense have left. I think uh, Mick Mulvaney is running everything, right? I mean, so you're at the situation where everyone around Trump now is a diehard supporter of Trump and unlikely to step up to his more bizarre impulses. Mm -hmm. That's not a good place to be, Nick. No, <laughs> I guess not. But, I mean, this is the thing. Like We've been, and again, I feel like I say this every fucking time that we talk, I agree there's a cumulative effect, but I'm still waiting for the point where that becomes toxic at some point. Like I, we have not gotten there, and I'm really curious about when we'll actually get there. The Mitt Romney ways in it. Well, we'll get to that later, Nick. We'll get to Mitt Romney. <laughs> um, and, and no, I, I, I think that... I think that Republican leadership is, like you said, is worried, and rightfully so to some degree. But if we're talking about... Uh, bringing people back from Syria, who realistically most people didn't agree should have been there in the first place, potentially getting something out of congressional leadership for the shutdown once they actually discuss something and come to some sort of compromise, I I don't know. I, and realistically, from a, a geopolitical perspective, not to go back to Syria, which I just talked about, if something, I, I, if, I, if from a, a monetary budget standpoint and from a strategic standpoint and seeing things kind of either stabilize or completely fall apart without us being there either showing that we need to be there or that it was you know we shouldn't have been doing what we were doing in the first place I think there's enough to enough time and enough um, variation in the issues and uh, while his behavior is erratic I think that the perspective is different enough that He's 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 rolling the dice. If something good comes out of any of these things, it's still going to play well to the base, mm -hmm. which realistically is still the main factor going into this election this early. I, I, I don't I don't think he cares that much except keeping campaign promises and uh, again, electrifying his base. That, that's all that matters right now. And if they stay that way. And you can garner enough people with some of these other issues, even if it's a handful of the dozens that are out there right now that everybody's in a tizzy about. That means something in the end. Especially for domestic politics. My fear is that actually something in the world happens. There's a real crisis. And then nobody around him, the qualified people are all gone. I think sure. you're absolutely right. Just thinking about it from a domestic politics perspective, that makes a ton of sense. It's good I only to care to about us. <laughs> That's right. But let's say whether it's North Korea or some other issue emerges, something we haven't thought about. You want seasoned, thoughtful, restrained individuals who are going to deliberate on this. Like and Trump. They're, right. They're all gone. <laughs> they're all gone. It's Stephen Miller, Mulvaney, and I don't know who else is left. I mean, it really, I don't have any faith in those who are still in the administration. No. Well, that's the other thing. He needs to find some, he needs to find some replacement for any of these people. For Mattis? Who do you bring in? Who wants Mattis? I don't Mattis know. I, I don't know where you go. Lindsey Graham? I mean, that's... That, Obviously. Oh, that's where I, I wonder, 
that's where I wonder if this is maybe more significant than we might realize, because I suspect that there are a lot of people in the the D.C. establishment, especially on on the right in the Republican establishment, who had their issues with Trump, but felt comforted by the fact that he, the D.C. establishment was still firmly in control. Right. You put you helped you surrounded Trump with people who had been historically part of the establishment. You had the bureaucracy in place. And now that that has been chipped away, I, I, I wonder if that's part of the reason why you start to see a little more panic right mm -hmm. that 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 establishment's not there to to restrain him the other aspect of this that we haven't talked about is the fact that you mentioned in the intro the stock market's doing yes. like shit lately right and so the, trump had not good approval number they, they weren't awful approval numbers but for a president who was uh, who had a stock market and an economy steaming along like it was they were pretty awful approval numbers and so as that that sort of part of his support that that element of his support erodes I, I that i think could could really be a big blow to his to his administration and his support and and so if you combine all of this this fear of you know the 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 adults are no longer around him he seems to be increasingly erratic the democrats are going to start having investigations into stuff the stock market starts to collapse i, I that's where i think all these things cumulatively might uh really make a difference stock markets you know, are knows? really we'll see. yeah stock markets are a really good point that's why i've moved all my money into predicted all of it my 401k <laughs> sold it all it's all in uh predicted oh, mine's all in gold <laughs> i i mean it's it's not a bad point but keep in mind the stock market also had its best day ever 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 in december after all of the downturns earlier in the month and there's been a number of stories written about how this was highly speculative, and it's, it's already started to rebound. I, we'll see in the long term if this, you know, that trend continues. If it doesn't, you guys are right, and I look like an asshole. But I think that sure. there's, I, 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 I don't know. the I, If it's, I think it's a temporary thing, to be honest. I think that, yeah, for, because of him and his actions, yeah, I don't think that if there's a major downturn, in the next few months, even in the next year or so, I think it's more in line with the timing of the need for another recession as opposed to the actions that he's taking. Sure. Yeah. We, I mean, it, the, it, we, we judge presidents based on the economy, and it's a terrible reason to judge presidents because yes. they don't actually have that much control. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. yeah. They do have some control, but very little over the state of the economy and the stock market. So it's not necessarily that this downturn is because of Trump. Right. But, uh, he will take the he will yes. I mean for whatever reasons that's the way we react and so we will you know people will be I, I think he'll he'll pay a price even if it's not his fault I think congressional leadership will pay the price because they didn't build the wall and the illegal immigrants are taking all of our jibs it's time to talk about the wall Nick yeah let's do that <laughs> we should talk beers first <laughs> yeah. though Phil what are you what are you drinking out of your red solo cup this week uh, well, so I haven't had a chance to go by my uh, nice beer store here in Keene, and so I just grabbed some stuff out of the fridge on the way here, and that means that I am drinking a Lagunitas 12th of Never, Ooh. which I haven't had in a while. I, it's just, you know, I've, we've talked about it in the past. It's, I, I really like it. Um, it's a go-to beer for me. That's a good one. Yeah. Nick, we are also drinking Lagunitas. We are. Which we, we're doing the, uh, the little something-something. little something-something ale. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, before we went on air, you mentioned that you really like this beer. So I do. Probably too much. Yeah. Tell yeah. the listeners why. It's just, it's good. It's easy yeah. drinking. It's got hoppiness to it, but it's also got a, like a, it's like a light, sweet bite mm -hmm. to it. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's very it's very crisp. Yeah. I'm I'm a big fan. Crisp, but like, but like you said, there's a little bit of hoppiness to it, but not. We've we've had some IPAs that kind of hit you over the head with the hops. This does not. This is just it's there. It's subtle. It's not a lawn mowing beer, but it is a you know it's a perfect January. Whatever was, was it the third, third fourth, whatever it is, second, yeah, second, <laughs> <laughs> middle of winter kind of beer. So it's yeah. a good one. We enjoy it. Um, yeah. Well, uh, if you guys. I want to look at the uh, all the beers that we try in the podcast? Download. Um, oh wow, I had lost the thing. Um, untapped. Jesus, I couldn't think of it either. You're like, uh. I can't. <laughs> the beer place. Ooh, yeah. Download Untapped. We are Barstool Politics on there. You can find all the beers that we try in the podcast and uh, and reviews for them. So definitely check that out. Speed uh, round. Yep. All right. So we're going to start with the government shutdown. Portions of the federal government have been shut down for over a week. 
after President Trump said he would not sign a stopgap funding measure without money for his proposed wall. Trump changed course after receiving backlash from high-profile conservative pundits, notably Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh, who lambasted the president for appearing to concede on wall funding. Just yesterday, Trump tried to explain the importance of his wall by tweeting, quote, you have walls and you have wheels. It's always that way, and it will always be that way. <laughs> Unquote. It's hard to argue with that type of logic. <laughs> now that Democrats have taken control of the House, neither side appears particularly interested in compromise. Phil, reports have it that uh, because of the shutdown, the national parks have turned into a cesspool of human feces, overflowing garbage, and illegal off-roading. You like camping. <laughs> what should we make of all this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> to go back to the, you know, some of the points that we brought up in the first uh, topic, this this just feels like an example of, of a, an issue where if Trump had some experienced political hands around him, they... It, it just doesn't seem like a road that he should have gone down. It doesn't. It feels like he's painted himself into a corner. The the um, you know that he that there was a spending bill that was passed that he refused to sign, um, which he had quote, suggested he might sign before, right? He was on yeah. board until Limbaugh, Coulter, and uh, all the others. Yeah. yeah, which is in and of itself a little disturbing that yes. Limbaugh and Coulter are the ones that are sort of driving this, if that's actually true. Um, <clears throat> But this seems like a situation where you have a whole lot of people who are out of work over the holidays for a, a long and what's turning into an extended period of time. We've had government shutdowns uh, in the last 20 years that lasted, you know, a day or two or whatever. Um, this is starting to look like the one from, you know, 20 some odd years ago that dragged on and on. And that was really, you know, just uh, ugly all around. Um, but I don't I don't see how this this seems pretty squarely leveled at trump like I, there there you know there were debates in the past about whose fault it was and i mean trump because of the way he's talked about it because of the quotes essentially saying give me the money or we're going to shut down the government he hasn't set it up in a way where he can really point the finger at democrats other than by saying um you're not giving me the money for the thing i want to do um which i don't I, anyway I, I this just seems like a just sort of poor political decision making on his part I, there's a lot of stuff that he does that i don't agree with but i can see where it would work politically mm -hmm. for him and this this one i'm having a harder time seeing hmm. nick um um first of all like we talked about before we we started the podcast if you're uh, just shitting everywhere in a national park or just piling up garbage everywhere you're the piece of shit it's not because the government is shut down um, that's why we need government Nick. apparently that's why we need government just to be our babysitter and clean up after us um on that same note i guess uh, i think there the decision itself is pro was probably not as nuanced as what i'm about to say but i think there is some strategy behind this uh at least innately in the sense that realistically um, I, I think this is another attempt to, uh, at least on the surface, keep a campaign promise, one thing, uh, appeal to the base, and then show that you're still going to be tough on border security. I think that there's enough, there's still enough um, support for those particular issues to mitigate the, the, the negative consequences of what he's doing, again, within the Republican base and some other elements of the Republican Party. Um, with Republican leadership, probably not. But I think coming out of this, this isn't going to be much different than um, being able to blame the Democrats for anything at this point. They are, are stopping us from protecting U.S. citizens from illegal border crossings and illegal immigrations uh, or illegal immigration that's taking, you know, away American jobs and, and stifling our economy. And you can just beat on that drum all day and people will listen to it. I, there, it's those are still powerful things even now. If I think was, you're oh, go ahead. I think you're right. I wonder how much of a difference it is, though. There's a difference between saying uh we didn't get our wall built and we have illegal immigration and it's the Democrats fault for not funding this. There's a difference between that and saying, I'm going to not pay like mm -hmm. millions of, of government workers and shut down services that people need over this point. Okay. So that, that's where I wonder, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think no. it, it, if there it, was a caravan, like it, the timing matters. If, if the caravan was hitting now, 
it seems to me that it would give him more political leverage because he could say, look at these refugees crossing the border, but there's not right now. So I, I wonder, you know, can he continue to make this argument without an immediate threat? Well, uh, all right. So, I, I mean, realistically, how much how much of the Republican base or the people who would support these decisions normally uh, outside of the temporality of this particular situation, how many of them you think do you think work for the federal government and are actually affected by the decisions that are being made on a day-to-day basis over the past week or two. Probably very few, right? I would imagine very, very few. And realistically, if that's not a thing that is immediately out in front of you every single day showing that there are significant hardships, especially around this time of year, I don't think it's going to play that much. I I really don't. And realistically, I'm not saying it's good or that this should be happening. They're, the, the, The government workers, they're going to get paid. They're going to get backlog pay out of this. It's it's oh yeah yeah they're eventually yeah that's not an issue and, and this could be resolved within a couple of days and then it becomes a non-issue again. But um, this is where this is where I think that Trump has miscalculated though because the the Democrats have no like the, they don't have any incentive to to say okay we'll give you the Trump is the one that's on the line here so there may sure. not be that many people right now who are like this is really affecting me but if it drags out a month oh yeah a month and yeah. a half it's gonna be and. And that's where the pressure is on Trump to cave as opposed to the Democrats, I think, in this particular situation. That's a great point. And will the parties as a whole? So who cracks first? And I, this could go either way. There's, this is not, it's not in, inevitable that, that, the, that Trump cracks. It could be the Democrats make a mistake. But right now it feels like the Democrats are more organized behind this and the strategy of saying we're not going to give him a silly wall we don't need this we're willing to fund uh border security but not the wall and that that strikes me as a a good position right now um so it it does feel like republicans could crack first uh but we'll, we'll see well, it's not even the tr- Republicans, though. It's Trump, right? Mm-hmm. The Republicans had already been a part of the bill to fund the government, mm-hmm. and Trump was the one who wouldn't sign it. That's what's also weird to me is that it seems like the and, – and maybe this is where uh, – this just wouldn't look good politically. But because Republicans and Democrats had together passed this bill, it seems like they could come back together and repass it with a veto-proof – like they can just do it without Trump, right? Or is, or is budget different? No, but they'd have to stand up to Trump, right? And I don't think, I don't think Republicans are ready for that fight right yeah. now. Maybe in the future, but not right now. Well, but- I- if it drags out 30 exactly. days and it starts to get ugly, mm, then are yes. they going to be willing to do it? Yeah, he has to be smart enough to realize that this has a very finite timetable. Because once those piles of garbage, <clears throat> right, and feces get certain a certain size, Nick, then it doesn't matter, right? I, again, it's gotta... hard to tell in D.C., yeah. so it just kind of looks like that all the time. And it's hard to tell if it's just piles of people or garbage. Cause, you know, I will say the image that was on, I don't know, one of the newspapers I was looking at that showed uh, you know Washington were in front of those national parks and the mounding garbage, and you could see the White House in the background. Mm-hmm. That's not a good optic for the president. <clears throat> no, probably not. No. All right, let's move on. Mitt Romney's back. I knew it. (laughs) All right, days away from joining the Senate's Republican majority, Senate-elect Mitt Romney broadly criticized President Donald Trump's policies and character and argued that the president has not risen to the mantle of the office. In a Washington Post op-ed, which, again, Trump hates the Washington Post, uh, posted Tuesday evening, Romney stated, quote, with the nation so divided, resentful, and angry, presidential leadership and and qualities of character are indispensable. Um, and it is in this province that where the incumbent shortfall has been most glaring. Trump fired back on Twitter saying early Wednesday, here we go with Mitt Romney, <laughs> which that should be a name of a podcast. Here we go with Mitt Romney. <laughs> um, but so fast. The question will be, is he is he flake? I hope not. Uh, Phil, is this a sign that Republicans are preparing to distance themselves from Trump? Or is or as Trump said, is, is, is he just another flake? Is this another Jeff Flake meaningless critique? Um, I think I think it's too early to tell. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that um, I, I don't think that Mitt Romney being critical of Trump is a sign of the larger Republican Party. He's been Mitt Romney has been critical of of Trump off and on throughout this time. I do think that the way a party changes direction is you know one person at a time, right? So if if Romney is is outspoken in criti- criticism of Trump and actually votes accordingly, and more of that sort of cumulative crap starts to pile on and another senator or two shifts. That's how it eventually changes. You know, if you go back and look at how it all fell out from under Nixon, it was, you know, a, a, a senator here and a, and a House member there and little by little. 
So I don't think that this is, I mean, it could signal the beginning of some sort of shift. I don't, I'm not, I, I don't think that's where we are at all. Whether or not this is just another Jeff Flake who says, you know, tisk tisk, Trump's bad. And then, you know, the thing to be fair to Jeff Flake is that he's, you know, I saw somebody say that Jeff Flake believes in institutions and the Republican Party is an institution and he had loyalty to the Republican Party and the, and the ideas of the Republican Party. And so he voted accordingly. Um, it's yet to be seen how Mitt Romney will actually vote, whether he will just say, I don't like this and then go along on everything. Um, Mitt Romney's conservative, right? To expect that him to vote Democratic is not, you know, that's not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think we can yet say that he's just meaningless like Jeff Flake. But I don't think that we can say that oh, things are, things are going to be different now with Mitt Romney. We have to see once he's in Senate what he, what he does, how he behaves. Mm -hmm. I, I, the fact that this, this was his first action before he even took office is. He's just an asshole. He just is. Like, I'm sorry. And realistically, this is nothing more than him setting up for a run in 2020. I, 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 I it's. Oh, he's going to primary him? That's. I, I, I you can't heard it imagine. Here, Nick McGuire dropping the bomb. I cannot imagine <laughs> another reason to do this so blatantly and just so. It was it's just the lack of subtlety to it. It I just. You're not going to see anything different come out of this. He's going to make this statement. He's going to get some, you know, middle-of-the-road support out of the Republican Party, announce his candidacy, and that's going to be it. And it's going to be the same thing that we saw a few years ago, and nothing is going to change. I, I, it's If anybody thinks anything different with this guy at this point, you're lying to yourself. I, I, I do think that's a good point. I have no faith that Mitt Romney will continue to push back against the president. He will he will do this and then he will vote for everything else and then every once in a while he'll stand up. I mean, I hadn't thought about the the primary. I, you know, I thought about Jeff Flake potentially running, but you could have a situation where Flake and Mitt Romney are fighting in the right. primary to go after Donald Trump. Uh yeah, I think Phil you're right. He is a conservative and he's he's indicated in other interviews that he's he's not at least Flake was willing to uphold uh judicial nominees. Uh, until they had some protection from Mueller. I mean, Flake actually, for as flaky as he was, did stand for a few things. I'm not so convinced that Romney would even do that. So, so yeah. Let me let me give you a cynical reason to think that he might. So, I mean, we're, we're all going cynical here. Good. Love but, it. <laughs> but so he's, he's representing Utah now, right? And mm -hmm. Utah's deeply conservative. But Utah, of all the conservative states, is the least pleased with Trump, right? They did not vote for Trump. They don't particularly like Trump. So his statements about values and the morality of the president, that plays. I mean, that's that is a that is the type of message that would play well in Utah, I imagine. And so even if you're like cynical and you think he's just doing this to to uh you know to appease the base like trump is doing to appease his base uh maybe that's a reason why he actually would be more likely to stand up to trump because of the 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 type of republican voter that's coming out of utah as opposed to the type of republican voter that's coming out of alabama i'll believe it when i see it but mm -hmm. but i think you could cynically think that maybe he'll do more than an arizona you know jeff flake it depends on what's his ultimate motivation. Is he happy being a senator? Is that what he wants to we do? We know he wasn't happy being a senator. He ran for president. <laughs> we know he. this is a stepping stone. But remember, Trump pointed out he lost. You're right. And Trump won. You're right. But he's got he's he's got the taste. Like, he's not going to give up on this. And but. he, Rob, how old is Romney? He still seems young. Maybe he just dyes his hair. But he feels like he has another presidential run in him. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Did you see I'm, the video? I'm Googling of, it. <laughs> did you see the video of him ironing his clothes that were on him? I love that. That's an old one. I know. But everybody keeps bringing every it's time so Romney's good. back. It is. It is. He's, if you haven't seen that, you ha just Google it now. Romney ironing his own clothes. He's ironing his arms well, while, while he's wearing the clothes. While he's wearing yeah. the suit. Yeah. He's he's seventy one. My favorite thing is I was <laughs> I was listening to a podcast this week where they were talking about Mitt Romney and I had forgotten about the instance when he was asked what his favorite meat was and he said hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, hey man. That's hey, real American right there. Gets his clothes from Costco, man. He and I, he, <laughs> me and Romney, we connect that way. <laughs> oh, binders of women. Oh, all right. Speaking of the uh, twenty twenty election. Elizabeth Warren became the first to officially throw her hat into the 2020 presidential race on Monday. 
Yet we know many more are soon to follow. With no clear frontrunner, the 2020 Democratic primary will be a test of just what the party stands for. Most expect that Senator Cor- Senators Cory Booker and Camilla Harris will soon announce their own candidacies. But then there are those who still are deliberating. For instance, former Vice President Joseph Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, and of course, Beto. Phil, it's not clear what Democratic voters are looking for in a presidential nominee. What do you make of Warren's announcement or the way the 2020 Democratic primary is shaping up? So let me start by saying I pulled up on Predicted, the, the market for who's going to be the Democratic nominee yeah. for 2020. Do you Have a, Have you looked? Do you no, have a I guess haven't. As to who's in the lead right now? Ooh, is it Biden? If it's Hillary Clinton, I'm burning this place down. <laughs> it is not. It's not Biden or Clinton. Really? Who is it? Is it is Beto? It's Beto. Oh, oh there we go. Well, 21 cents a share. 21% basically chance. Interesting. Interesting. By Harris, Biden's in third, Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren at 10 cents a share. So you said 21 Ooh. cents for Beto? 21 cents for Beto, yeah. And Warren at 10. Warren at 10. That's so really interesting. Okay, okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I think the, the, the 2020 field is going to be, uh, it's going to be a, a, a mess. huge mess of people. So <clears throat> living in New Hampshire, you start, we've already start to, you already start to see people coming through like who haven't said they're running for president, but it's like the only reason to be coming to like small town New Hampshire yeah. in, in like late 2018 is because you're thinking of running for president. <laughs> um, and and so to hang out with who, Phil Barker. <laughs> people who I haven't even heard of who are coming through and they're like, oh, he's running for president. Um, so I think in 20, there's going to be a huge chunk of, of people. I mean, this is where, you know, the, the schism in the Democratic Party between sort of the, the, the Clinton and the Bernie groups, this debate about what the Democratic Party should look like is going to get ugly right it's going to get played out not with two people but through yeah. you know 20 different people who are going to make claims to uh being the you know that you're going to have old you're going to have young you're going to have you know super liberal you're going to have you know middle centrist democrats they're going to be all over the place um so i that's from as a political scientist that's gonna be fun to watch and even i think a good thing be- right it's good for the democrats to have yeah. this kind of open conversation you know, it's better to have lots of candidates than just three. I mean, I think back to the, you know, the last presidential uh, Democratic primary. I mean, there were there weren't enough candidates. There wasn't real debate. I mean, yep. you know, Bernie versus Hillary is not all that engaging. No, this. Yeah. I mean, it's you're absolutely right. This is great. They're absolutely going to eat themselves alive and uh, <laughs> not be able to win because they'll be arguing the entire time. I, no, Nick, they'll be fine. Uh, re- uh, really? I, I mean, we've we've talked about Beto. This is yeah. he might have this potential in the future, it's not going to be in this particular cycle. He just doesn't have the support. He doesn't have the charisma for it. He, he's just, that's, he's that's, not there. That's what people said about a young Barack Obama. Nick. Yeah, that was weirdly <laughs> anointed. I, I don't know. But here's the thing. I mean, And it's not going to be Focahontas, and it's not going to be Spartacus either. So Sorry. Timing matters, right? So one of the things, so Elizabeth Warren's an interesting candidacy. Uh, a lot of people are saying that she really missed her moment in 2016. And and so and there's been political scientists look at this and they say, you know, when you have your moment, you really have to seize it and, and throw yourself into the, the election because you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So if you're Beto, and I think it's likely or there's really good odds that a Democrat would win in 2020. So if you don't run... You're waiting another eight years, and then potentially, then it's unlikely that a Democrat will win again in the next. You're talking about it could be 12, 16 years, and then suddenly that window is gone. Yeah. And he's tall, Nick. He is tall. And that helps. That helps in elections. (laughs) Americans like height. Mm hmm. Dumb people. Can we we talk about Elizabeth Warren? Okay, (laughs) that's reasonable. (laughs) How tall is she? (laughs) So I. I don't know how people will take to her. I don't know how successful she will be, but there is something that I like about her, um, which is that, or something that I think the Democratic Party could take from her, which is that if she stays away from the DNA test stuff, right, right, that sort of engaging, the, the reason why she rose to prominence in the Democratic Party was that she had very specific issues that she was like, that she made clear these need to be addressed about about income inequality, very much the Bernie Sanders yep. thing, right? She, it wasn't just these like platitudes about, you know, it was, it was that here are the policy things that need addressing and we need to address those. If she takes that approach, I think that she could do really well. And I would love to see whoever the nominee is 
take that approach. Mm-hmm. Get away from this. We hate Democrats. We hate Republicans stuff and be, you know, talk about like, here are the here are the things. Here are the big issues in this country. Here's what we're going to do about it. And that's what I'm running on. That's what I'm going to focus on. I, I think, again, I think the part of the reason why she rose so quickly in the Democratic Party is because she took that approach and wasn't necessarily playing it safe, wasn't just doing the, you know, the doing the the, the uh, politician platitudes. And so if she can find that and stick with that, I, I, I think she could have a really interesting run. I, I, from a legislative and policy perspective, I absolutely agree. I, I think she she has a sound background and, and would be a f- you know, a force to um, to to contend with. You are going to be fighting a rabid dog in in 2020, and you've already shown that you're going to fall for that. You've fallen for his shit. If you can stay away from it, God bless you. But right now, I I'm I'm I am point. hesitant at best to say that she would That's stay a good away point. from it. And the other thing is the media is not going to help her either. I mean, there's already no. been conversations about is she likable, which is, you know, you can draw some parallels to Hillary Clinton. It's this sort of gender dynamic where, you know, if, if you're a woman running for office, you have to be likable. I mean, Donald Trump is not likable at all. Right. But that never comes now, up. come on, man. You want to have a drink with that guy? <laughs> no. Cranberry George, juice? Whatever George W. Bush. I'd have a beer with him, but not, you know. Well, I don't think he drinks, but nevertheless. Uh, but I mean, so you see these parallels. Well, the media is suddenly jumping on what Trump says about uh, about Warren, but not all the other things, not the policy things. So it, it's it's a, it's an uphill battle for her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's gonna. Oh, it's 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 really gonna be exciting, and I'm glad the Democrats are having this very cathartic. It may be ugly, Nick, but that's okay. I'm I'm happy for it. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I don't agree. We'll see. <laughs> so. Let's go international. <clears throat> yes. All right. Wearing a fashionable suit and tie and relaxing in an overstuffed leather armchair in a book-lined oh. room, North Korea's Kim Jong-un gave his North New Year's Day speech and said he was open to a second summit with President Trump. But he paired the offer with a threat that if international sanctions against his country were not lifted, the North Korean regime would have no choice but to return to nuclear confrontation. He said, quote, I'm willing to meet the United States president at any time for the betterment of our international community. However, if the United States does not keep its promise in our international community and uh, it misinterprets our patience and intentions and continues with the sanctions, then we will have no choice but to come up with new initiatives and new measures. Nick, he means nuclear weapons. Awesome. Yes. There, has been, there hasn't been much progress in, on the North Korean front over the last six months. Phil, is it time the U.S. turn off the cruise control and start rethinking its approach to North Korea? <laughs> <laughs> I, so all I could, I mean, I have to think about this for a second. All I could think about as you were reading all of that was that that, that whole statement was exactly Donald Trump's approach to, to North Korea, right? Like that yeah. quote could have been, you know, you can hear Donald Trump saying that, you know, if if North Korea doesn't change, we'll have no choice but to return to nuclear confrontation. I don't see I'm any willing caps in North- there. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to meet the North Korean regime at any time for the betterment of our international community. However, if they don't keep up their promise, et cetera, et cetera, and continue, then we'll have no choice but to come up with new initiatives. It's totally Donald Trump. It's yes. the exact same approach from both sides. He's the perfect foil. Which, yeah, <laughs> but he's sitting in a comfy leather chair. Yeah, but I guess what I think when I when I think about it being essentially the the mirror image of Donald Trump is that no, nothing's gonna nothing's gonna change. Nothing's mm-hmm. gonna happen. We're gonna continue with this. They're gonna they can they can both use this issue. I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that they can both use this issue to their domestic betterment and that nothing is going to actually come. Now, that doesn't, you know, that that doesn't take into account the potential instability within the North Korean regime and, and the, the generals and people around um, Kim. But in general, these two guys sitting around praising slash threatening each other, it, I don't I don't it just seems like the new status quo. Mm-hmm. Strategic patience, Nick. 
fuck strategic patients. That's, that's what we've returned to that. That was Obama. Uh, we're back to it now. I don't know if we're back to that necessarily. Nothing's happening. Well, I, literally nothing yeah. happened over eight years during right. the last administration. Yeah. At least there's dialogue, even if it's shitty dialogue right now. <laughs> hey, and fairly late breaking news, Trump received a very nice letter from, from Kim Jong-un. Say, and they'll probably there will probably be a second summit. Was it another real big envelope? I believe it was a big a big envelope. It's 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 disturbing how excited he gets when he gets a letter from Kim Jong Un. I would be excited if I got a letter. Nobody writes me letters anymore. But you're not the president of the United States. But you I would get still lots be excited. Letters, yeah. I would be even more excited if somebody wrote me a letter. <laughs> Jeez, you just it's, you guys are no fun. You should give the listeners your address. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, I I I don't know. I, realistically, I I tend to agree with you, Phil, that this is more uh, a mutually domestic ploy on both of their parts but i still have some hope thinking again it it may be not the most coherent or um useful or um um what's the word it, it, it it's the the type of dialogue that's being had is not great but it's better than no dialogue at this point and i think the more that we keep them at the table either there's some change from an economic perspective or like you said there's enough instability in the north korean regime with the um the military leadership that they get tired of this it has to happen eventually it's going to be one or the other either they come into the fold and become a little less of a pain in the ass or the kim regime has to go and i would hope that the alternative is is better than what we have now but who knows I, I, something has to happen, yeah. though. It can't be that much longer. No, I agree. I, I agree with that. And I think the U.S. position has been North Korea needs to completely denuclearize, and then we'll have conversations about sanction relief. North Korea says you need to pull the troops back. You need to get out. You know, we've got a, a whole host of things you need to do, and then we'll talk about denuclearization. It feels to me that there's space for real conversation here, mm-hmm. where the United States could give a little bit. Whether it's it's simply saying we're willing to sign something ending the Korean War, we're willing to talk about pulling back either troops or or just some of those military operations if you are willing to do X, Y, and Z. It feels like you're there is some space for real meaningful negotiations, and I would hope the United States would walk away from this. It's all or nothing, and start talking about what could be done, giving an inch, hoping that North Korea would respond. And if they don't that's fine then you can go back to this strategic patience of no progress but it, it feels to me that this is a a unique moment that trump has stumbled into mm-hmm. didn't you just describe the iran nuclear deal no <laughs> i i feel the same about that <laughs> i really there's 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 definitely yeah there is space to be had i think they just turned the whole dmz into the world's largest water park slash ski resort um, golf courses, golf all courses, all yeah, yeah, all of that, yep. yeah. It's it'll be a nice commingled area where they can all have fun together. Because while well, I think you know, Phil, you were right that it is they're they're mirror images of each other. It doesn't always have to stay that way, right? I mean, this could escalate again, and so sure. seize the moment while you've got some time. Yes, yeah, agreed. Yeah, yay. Okay. <laughs> Anything else on that? I don't think so. Okay, because this final topic is something. <sighs> all right. Last topic. <laughs> Special counsel Robert Mueller and his team have reportedly obtained a nude selfie during the process of investigating whether Russia colluded with the Trump campaign during the 2016 presidential election. An attorney for a Russian firm that has been in the crosshairs of the Mueller team for allegedly interfering in the election made the odd claim in court filings last week. The attorney asked, quote, could the manner in which he collected a nude selfie really threaten the national security of the United States? It's a fair question. Now, we don't know who was in that selfie and how it came into the possession of the special counsel. But my question for you two idiots is who do you think is in the <laughs> selfie? And the more obscure the guess, the better. Who wants to start? Phil, you should start because you... Before we go down that road, it's it's worth pointing out that this is like this is this would be great to talk to Tom about because this was a, a case that made its way all the way to the Supreme Court and that or to John Roberts at least yeah. who intervened. This has been sort of secretive, and so it's not just a report; these are legal documents in which <laughs> this claim right. came out. I mean, the, okay, so the fact that that the list of people that could be involved in this nude selfie is so long is telling in and of itself. Yeah. Um, uh, 
there's a there is a non-zero chance <laughs> that it's Donald Trump himself. Correct. Right? Yes. Um, and that would not in the least. In fact, that might be the that might be the least surprising. <laughs> like a man who's involved in you know paying off porn stars who he had affairs with is you know the man has sent a nude selfie to one of them at some point. The the He's fact that this goes into Russia and all sorts of other stuff, I I don't know. Is I mean, it, could I, it be the, Putin? Is it Putin? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it could be Putin here. God, That's your bet. Are you going with Putin? No, no, I've got a different guess. But as That's you as Stephen I was listening, Miller. what's that? Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller. <laughs> I would bet it's one of the younger ones, personally. Yeah. I don't think Trump or Putin has any idea how to send a fucking selfie. Oh, that's a fair that's point. A yeah, point. yeah. He I can don't barely think tweet. it's them. Let's also go back and uh, just, I'm going to read this real quick. An attorney at a Russian firm that has been in the crosshairs of the Mueller team for allegedly interfering in the election. Why the fuck are we giving this credence right now? <laughs> can, I, can I just ask that question? Because it's a mean? nude selfie. Okay. <laughs> Just want to point that out. I, I, it's, I don't. I, I, why, why are you doing this? Because it's funny. I, no, <laughs> I do. I, I like Nick's point though that if if Donald Trump took a nude selfie of himself, the odds that he would accidentally tweet it out are are pretty significant. Right. <laughs> yeah. He lives <laughs> in Twitter, true. so it would be there if it was going to go anywhere. Who was who was the guy that tweeted out? Himself, like a oh, it was the Democrat uh, Wiener? Wiener, Wiener, Anthony Wiener. That's right. Yeah. He could totally do that. Ironically so. All right, I'm going with Sebastian Gorka. Oh, God. Oh, He's, you know, this seems like a guy who, he's so obnoxious. He's no longer with the Trump administration, but he's recently, recently written a book. He just feels like the kind of guy that would do that, and he probably hangs out with a bunch of Russians. Well, who were the younger people that were involved in the campaign? I mean, I could see, I could see like Papadopoulos or something like that. He was too low level, though. Yeah, but yeah. he would be the kind of younger scumbag guy that would do something like that, who they had direct contact with. Well, and it's, if, if they're upset about it, it has to be of somebody of consequence, right? If it's just some random dude, or may, I don't know, maybe not. But then the involvement of Russia, like, why? How does this enter in? Is like, yeah. I mean, is this like a, a, a potential source of blackmail? Like, why? I don't. This is. We're, we don't know. I mean, we don't know a damn thing. We don't know what the, the filing was about other than it mentioned that there was a nude selfie. We are here to speculate about whose junk was in that picture. Yeah. That's, that's fun to do. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's probably not Putin, but that would be fantastic. Oh, God, that would destroy him. <laughs> it, it just would be great. No, he would love it. Yeah, you think? Yeah, he yeah, would love it. I go, well, it depends, I suppose. Or Dmitry Medvedev, the he, prime minister. Oh, He wouldn't mm, like it as much. No, no. not so much. I. I don't know. That's a tough one. We need a predicted market for this. Gorbachev oh. is still alive. <laughs> what? Did you did you have a thought, Phil? <laughs> a predicted market would be good. Yeah. I like it. I know. That's what I was getting excited. <laughs> All right, we gotta talk to them. All right. That thanks for entertaining me. <laughs> it's just it's I still find it hilarious that we talk about half the things that we talk about. In a real sense, that there is a special counsel investigating yeah. claims like this. Yes, where are we? Well, he's not investigating nude selfies. He's, no, I'm it's just real saying real crimes, Nick. Yes, obviously, they're all. <laughs> well, they I, have they have sent numerous people to jail on like dozens of federal charges. Oh yes, yeah, so. no, I'm more in the sense of the fact that this is even entering yeah. our transom at this point is fucking insane. But the right. thing is, it, the nude selfie may have nothing to do with Mul what Mueller is looking at. It may right. just have been something that he gathered. And Russia may realize that this is, could be some form of embarrassment to the special counsel. So it's entirely possible that this is a way to push back. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think over the next six to eight weeks, we're going to have so much conversation about the Mueller investigation. It feels like we're right on the cusp of something. I'm going to put together a montage of you guys saying that. Know, it's got to be 30 or 40 different no, times that that's I, happened. I'm, I know. I've been, I've, I've sort of backed off of that recently. Like I've heard people talking, I've read a number of uh, um, articles talking about how the the Iran-Contra uh, you know, Iran went on for, the investigation went on seven years, mm, yeah. and the, the Whitewater stuff with yeah. and that turned into Monica Lewinsky went on for like seven years. Yeah. And so the fact that after two years we're worked up about how long this is taking is, you know, uh, probably a bit premature, but it also makes me think to, to think that it's all going to, you know, tie up nicely in a couple of weeks. I, it, it, sure, it sure feels like it, but then I find myself coming back around to it. We could be in, you know, this could go on for, you got to feel like Mueller wants to get it wrapped up at least during his first term, right? Yeah. 
during Trump's first term. You would think so. Yeah, I get. I, I mean, again, we talked about it. It has to be airtight, otherwise, none of this matters. But realistically, if he's out of office by the time there's some sort of movement on it, it doesn't have to be airtight anymore. I, I don't know what's better for him at this point. Mm. And again, we we're just speculating, but it appears he's sensitive to the time constraints of both the Clinton investigation and other ones. You know, after a while, Kenneth Starr lost credibility just because the investigation went on so long. And Mueller, again, we're speculating, but seems, seems savvy enough to know that he needs to strike quickly. Yeah. Having said all that, it does kind of feel like a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> I know. So stay, <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that was, uh, that was good. Um, yeah, 2019. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, if you guys like the podcast, um, want to share it, uh, see what we're up to, beer suggestions, questions, comments, anything like that, Follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics, um, podcast, uh, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. So share us, like us, review us through there. Um, beers we try, uh, untapped. I remembered it this time. Uh, download on iOS and Android. We are Barstool Politics. We look for our beer reviews on there. Uh, and then predicted. If you guys weren't here at the start of the uh, the episode. Uh, we partnered with Predict It, which is a, a real money uh, political prediction market, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Barstool Politics listeners, uh, if you open up a new account, uh, we'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, you'll um, Predict It will match uh, that $20. So you'll have $40 to use on there. Free money. Yeah. Look for that uh, that dick pic market. Uh, we'll be talking to them about that shortly. Um, just use the uh, the promo uh, link, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20, uh, and get your free money. Definitely check it out. Super fun. Anything else, guys? No. Cool. Dick pics. Cheers. Cheers. We'll <laughs> see you next week. Shut up and sit down.